I hope that, how many of you got the video that I sent to everyone from the church? Raise your hand nice and high if you got the DVD, the link, the message. How many of you did not get it? Raise your hand. Let me share with you why you didn't get it. The secretary needs your email address. And uh, get it to the secretary and you will get the you will get the, the, vi the video. The video is actually a presentation by Doug Batchelor about what's happening this spring, uh, that the Vatican is inviting the world leaders uh, to the Vatican to sign a document. This is very significant to us as a people. And so as soon as you get the, your email, uh, you, will, you will be getting that. You'll be getting that. Very, very important. I'm also encouraging you to be doing your homework <clears throat> and be reading Great Controversies chapters 18 through 28. Uh, if you are reading that, then these presentations on the sanctuary are going to be meaningful to you. By the way, uh, it'll also explain to you um, what makes us Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, it is vital that we understand chapters 18 through 28, very, very important. And of course, uh, we have been going through uh, the sanctuary, but specifically we're focusing in on the judgment, which is very important to us. Now, in our last presentation on the judgment, we learned that God had appointed a day for the judgment. And uh, the beginning of the judgment began on October 22, 1844, according to the prophecy of Daniel 814. Um, that means that you and I right now are alive while the judgment is taking place. Uh, now, we know that the judgment begins with those who have died, but it will soon pass to the living. We don't know when. The Bible did not tell us that, but it will. Um... And we learned something very important about the judgment. Is the Father the one that we're to be afraid of in the judgment? No. no. Who is it we're to fear? Who? Ourselves. The devil himself can't make me do wrong unless I consent. No, it's not the devil we need to fear. It's ourselves. That's who we fear. Are we allowing Jesus to sit upon the throne of our heart? That's what's going to be investigated. Did we allow Jesus? Did we surrender to him or not? So we learned, uh, we're learning why it's important to spend time with Jesus every day in the word. Are you with me? Remember what I said, that I can stand in the middle of my garage and call myself a car. It doesn't make me one. <laughs> and I, I can go to church and call myself a Christian. It doesn't make me one. It's my time with Christ yielding to his influence in my life that makes me a Christian and nothing more or less. That's how it rolls. So are we spending time with Christ every day? Even if it's just five minutes, that's a starting point. Give him five. Read a chapter. Spend time with him in prayer. Let him know what your agenda is today. Invite him into your day. Um, 
we learned in our last presentation that Jesus has entered into the third and final phase of his ministry on our behalf. The, the, the work in the most holy place is Christ's final work. After that, when he's done, it, we go home. This is the third and final phase of Christ's ministry has begun. In 1844, we are soon to see it close. And, but the key, the key is that you and I have to be focused on what he's doing there. As Seventh-day Adventists, we know that October 22, 1844, Jesus uh, began the investigative judgment. But beyond that, we don't know what it means. Now, if you haven't heard the previous presentation, uh, you can get uh, a copy of it, a CD copy of that presentation. I start on, we, in that presentation, we begin to unpack what the judgment is about, how it works. Today, we're going to go deeper. We're going to go deeper into that. Now, for those of you who are visiting or, and you haven't been listening to the other presentations, you're going to feel like you're taking a drink from a fire hydrant. Uh, we're going to be going through quite a bit here. But I'm, I, I am praying that the Lord will help you to get what you need to get today. Now, we know that on the Day of Atonement, when the, the sanctuary is cleansed from the record of sin that we have passed there through asking God to forgive us of our sins. But what we need to realize that as Jesus is cleansing the sanctuary of the record of sin, there has to be a correlating cleansing in the lives of the people of God. Just as the sin is being eradicated up there, sin has to be eradicated in here. We talked about what sin was. This is very important. Don't miss this. Sin is not a mistake. Okay? It's not when you make a mistake. You should have turned left, instead you turned right. We talked about that. That's not a sin. Sin is not even doing the wrong thing if you do it ignorantly. When Rahab lied about hiding the, the spies, she did not know that was a violation of God's law. It was not charged against her as a sin. Okay? Sin, then, is knowing God's will and making a choice to go against it anyway. And the angels in heaven, we talked about this, were kicked out of heaven for that. That's called rebellion against God. Now, no one is going into heaven sinning. This is vital to understand. Sin is rebellion against God. Does this make sense? When we understand the issues... Now the importance of the sanctuary will begin to come into focus because the plan of salvation, how God is going to save a sinner yet destroy sin at the same time is revealed there. At least the, the sinner that's willing uh, to allow Jesus to sit on the throne of their heart. So today what we're going to do is we're going to take a closer look at what Jesus will do for us. And, and what we're going to learn today is that the sanctuary is going to reveal why Jesus has not returned. You know, I used to, <clears throat> when I first gave my life to Jesus, what really excited me was his return to bring an end to the sin and suffering in this world. I was so excited. And as a new believer, out of the Catholic Church and then out of the world, I wanted to know why, when Jesus was going to come. I studied everything I can get my hands on 
uh, to, to understand when Jesus was going to come. And the more I studied, the more convicted I became that Jesus should have returned before now. My friends, if you study carefully, you will find we should never have seen the 20th century. Never. We should not have. So now I became very bothered. Why hasn't Jesus returned? What was the holdup? We're going to find out today what it, what it is. I'll share with you what the Lord showed me. Now what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to join me. You know, we're, we're going to be looking at a message that is purely Adventist. We're going to look at a message that the Bible refers to as the everlasting gospel. It is this message that brings on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us as a people if we will receive it, believe it, and receive it. We will receive the early rain, which opens the door for the latter rain. Are you with me? As far as possible, let us kneel. Father in heaven, we come to you with grateful hearts. You gave your son to our fallen race to save us. Father, we have been very distracted, very distractible, and, and honestly, Lord, very indifferent to the risk you took for us. We come before you asking you to forgive us. Father, we have been very much enthralled with the things of this world when we should have been reaching souls for you. Forgive us, Father, for these things. And Lord, I include myself there. You know I do. Lord, what we need now is the blood of Jesus to wash away our sin, for his righteousness to cover us, for there is no other righteousness that you will approve of but his. We ask, Father, please, for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit here today, that it'll be your voice that is both seen, heard, and felt. I pray, Father, prepare our hearts for the message you have for us. Lord, you know that I need your strength. I need your wisdom. You know this instrument, Lord, needs to be hid behind the cross so that only Jesus will be seen and heard. So I pray, Lord, you will reveal yourself to us. We can't find you any other way. We pray for that eye salve, Lord, that we can see. Remove self from the throne. Oh, no, Lord, you can't. We have to. Oh, Father, sit upon the throne of our heart. Give us ears to hear. Remove pride from us, Lord, that it will not be our own undoing. But help us to see Jesus. And so, Lord, as I present and, and as the speaker presents with his feeble words, I pray that the Holy Spirit will filter them so that what you want us to see and hear, Lord, will be seen and heard. So please shut us in the secret place of the Most High. Lord, I want to give everyone an opportunity here to pray. I want to give them the opportunity to pray not only for the speaker, but to pray for themselves. And I give that to them now.
Father, we want nothing between our soul and our Savior. We want to sit at your feet now and hear what you have to say to us. And so, Lord, bring to my mind now what needs to be spoken. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. On October 22, 1844, the judgment began. There is a cleansing that has taken place in the heavenly sanctuary. There must be a correlating cleansing in the lives of God's waiting people. Let's begin uh, with question number one. Now, all should have received a handout. Does, everyone ha does anyone not have a handout? There's a hand right here. Um, oh, wait, we got one. We're sharing, okay. Anyone else? Okay. Um, let's take a look here. We're going to be looking in the spirit of prophecy. What is the ultimate, what is God's ultimate goal for his people? Great Controversy 484. Cries will close his faithful ones with his own what? Righteousness. That he may present them to his father, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Their names stand enrolled in the book of life, and concerning them it is written, they shall walk with me how? In white. Don't miss that. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. That white represents the righteousness of Christ, which is to become our righteousness. God is looking for a people whose lives are in total harmony with his will, who are fully surrendered to him. By the way, God is love. Who wouldn't want to surrender to love? The biggest problem that we have in surrendering to God is that we don't trust him. But it's hard to trust someone we don't know. So it's vital that we get to know him through his word. And so there is going to be a generation that knows him well enough to know they can trust him with whatever, even if it costs us our lives. We can trust him. Fully, we can trust him. So victory then is trust. Overcoming is trust. It's fully trusting him. That's what it is. It's, and that comes through an abiding relationship. By beholding him, we become changed. And it's really interesting that that's a real struggle for the human heart because the human heart wants credit. I want the good things that I do to, I want credit for that. I have bad news for you. You're not going to get any. <laughs> Our righteousness is as filthy rags. The only righteousness that God will accept is the righteousness of his son. And we need to be covered by his righteousness. That's the only righteousness which he will accept. You know, we know that towards the end, in, in Matthew 25, there is a parable of ten virgins. This is very significant. You know that in the in book of Revelation, there are two women. There's the apostate church, the, the whore, the prostitute, and then there's the pure woman. Uh, and, and when, in, in the parable of the ten virgins, the fact that they're virgins is telling us that's not the apostate church. That's us. If you need clarification, grab Christ's object lessons and read, the, read that section on the ten virgins. Read it on Christ's object lessons. So the ten virgins, the reason they're virgins is because their doctrine is correct. Their data is correct. All of them had lamps. Thy word is a lamp. 
There was oil in the lamp. That's the Holy Spirit that inspires the word. The problem is only five had the oil in the vessel. Their earthen vessel. And that vessel represents us, our person. The data evidently did not have a correlating effect in a changed life. That's the problem. Now, I, wanna, I want you to open. Remember, it was five foolish, five uh, wise. Open your Bible to the book of Daniel. Does anyone here know what the word Daniel means? The name Daniel. Daniel means God is my judge. Daniel is a book of judgment. And in the very last chapter, we're going to read something very interesting. Daniel chapter 12, and I'm going to pick up in verse 4. Jan Daniel 12, 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words of, the, of his book and seal the book until when? The time of the end. Okay, so in other words, Daniel's book would not be understood until this period known as the time of the end. Is the book of Daniel understood today? What time are we living? Seal up the book till the time of the end. Many will run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now come down here to verse 9. And again the angel said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Now here's the key, verse 10. Many will be purified and made what? Remember the text we just read in Ephesians, that the in Revelations, that, that God's people will be dressed in white? Many will be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the... Your wise virgins, they understood. The message of the judgment is a purification message. God's goal is to transform our lives and to set us free from sin. Are you with me? All right. <clears throat> Let's continue here on number two. Jesus will do this work in the lives of those who what? Who want it and believe for it. So Malachi 3, 1 through 3 is an interesting uh, three verses because it's actually revealing to us, it's presenting to us a judgment scene. Very interesting. Malachi 3, 1 through 3, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly to his what? His temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who will endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like the launderer's soap. He will set as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in what? In righteousness. So it's very interesting here that this is actually the judgment scene. He's going to purify the sons of Levi. The Levites were the priests. And when you get to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you can write that reference down, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Peter there says that the people of God are a nation of... He wants to purify us all to present to him a living sacrifice that every aspect of our lives are surrendered to him and he is the king of our lives. Either Jesus is the king of all or he's not king at all. So important. 
Number three, this process, however, involves a cooperative investigation. Again, these are the words of King David, who was not afraid of the judgment. He calls for it here in Psalms 26, 1 through 3. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me. O Lord, improve me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes. I have walked in your truth. What he is saying here is, Lord, to the best of my knowledge, I am doing what you ask of me. That's what he's saying. He's asking, but, so why is he saying examine me? Why is he saying prove me? Well, take a look at number four. The righteous call for this investigation because they have come to understand that they are blind to their own sinful condition and need the help of Jesus, not only for healing, but for diagnosis. Psalms 19.12 says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from what? My secret faults. It's irritating how other can, people can see what's wrong in our lives and we can't see it. Um, it's hard to be convinced of that. You know, when I was, uh, was, my sister and I are very close, my sister Vivian. I hope she comes out here one day to get to, get to meet her. But, um, <clears throat> you know, my sister and I are so close, in fact, she can tell me stuff that I wouldn't allow other people to tell me. <laughs> Do you have someone like that in your life? And I don't remember what's going on. It was early in my walk with Jesus. I was in, we were, uh, we were visiting. And on that day, she decided to tell me something about my life that was a, was a problem and needed to be corrected. And uh, I thought about what she said, and so I couldn't see it. Therefore, it didn't exist. It was all in her head. Of course, I'm the only one who's ever thought anything like that, Right? Problem's not with me. I don't see it. It's not true. It's obviously with you. So I got in my car. I went to go see my grandmother. I, we were living in Glendale. I was heading towards Adam Hill. And for those of you who are from Glendarians, anybody here know, been from Glendale, California? No? Adams Hill, of course, I'm on the other side of the continent. But uh, I was heading towards Adams Hill, and it was almost as if my sister was sitting in the car right here repeating this problem in my life. It was really irritating. And I began to wonder to myself after a while, Lord, is that you? Are you telling me that this exists in my life? I don't see it. If it's true, show me. Listen, friend, that week wasn't out. And the Lord showed me that what my sister had said was true. I learned something that day that I can be blind to my own stuff. I need to be listening. And so the heart of a person who's waiting for the return of Christ recognizes this fact and says, Lord, to the best of my knowledge, I'm following you. But it's quite possible there's something there that's not right. Will you show me? Th does that make sense? And that's why David prayed that prayer. That's actually a request for judgment, for an investigation. You're inviting God into every crevice, every door of your heart and mind. That's what that's about. Number four, the righteous call for this investigation. I read that. Take a look at Psalms 139, 23, and 24. David continues with this request. Search me, O God, 
and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Your pastor prays this prayer every day because I need it. I want to be like Jesus. I pray that every day. The Apostle Paul understood this. In 1 Corinthians 4, 4 and 5, he says, For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. He said, He who judges me is the Lord. He says, I don't know anything about myself. I don't know anything wrong in my life, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's nothing wrong. So he's asking God to reveal it to him. You know, ignorance is not an excuse to not ask for an investigation, if that makes sense. Let, let, me, let me illustrate it this way. We're living in the day of computers. Suppose your computer has a virus and you're not aware of it. Does your ignorance of the presence of that virus protect you from the damage it causes? It doesn't. Does, does the ignorance of that virus in your computer protect others who may come in contact with your computer? No, it is doing damage, isn't it? So I need to no longer be in a position of ignorance. I need to ask God, is there anything in there that's causing damage? Is there anything in my life that's not rightly representing you? Am I ignorantly misrepresenting you and causing damage, Lord? Does that make sense? That's what David was asking for. And that's what we must ask for. Why is this so important, though? Why is doing this so important, especially to the last generation? The sanctuary tells us why. Number five, why is this especially important to the last generation? Great Controversy 425. Those who are living upon the earth, when the intercession of Christ shall cease in the sanctuary above, are to stand in the sight of a holy God without a mediator. Are you beginning to see it? This is why this teaching that is starting to go amongst us that we're going to keep sinning up to the second coming is fatal. It's a deception. There has to be total surrender because when Christ comes out, there's no longer a mediator for sin. Does this making sense, brothers and sisters? Do you understand the urgency? Their robes must be spotless. Their characters must be purified from sin by the blood of sprinkling. Through the grace of God and their own diligent efforts, they must be conquerors in the battle with evil. While the investigative judgment is going forward in heaven, while the sins of the penitent believers are being removed from the sanctuary, there is to be a special work of purification, of putting away of sin among God's people upon the earth. I want to show you something here uh, that's very important. Do you have the quote for us, Great Controversy uh, 623? Write that reference down. Michael, do you, do you have it for us? It, okay. Great Controversy 623. If not, I have uh, the Great Controversy here. 
623. I hope it's up there, but if not, I'll read it to you. It's behind me? Oh, okay, because I'm looking up here and it's blank. Okay. What's the first word? Now, while our great high priest is making the atonement for us, we should seek to become perfect in Christ. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about this word perfect because this, this, this word scares us to death. Perfect in Christ. Not even by a thought could our Savior be brought to yield to the power of temptation. Satan finds in human hearts some point where he can gain a foothold. Some sinful desire is what? cherished by means of which his temptations assert their power. But Christ declared of himself, the prince of this world cometh and have nothing in me. Satan could find nothing in the son of God that would enable him to gain the victory. He had kept his father's commandments and there was no sin in him that Satan could use to his advantage. Now watch this next sentence. This is the condition in which those must be found who shall stand in the time of trouble. Not even by a thought. Before I read on, right about here, you're probably thinking, it's over for me. You might as well take me out back and shoot me now and get it over with because I'm never going to get there. Let me share something with you. If you're thinking that, it's because your focus is on yourself. There's no hope there. Look away from self and look to Jesus. Remember that Jesus said that the leopard, the leper, excuse me, the, 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 the Ethiopian cannot change the color of his skin, nor the leopard his spots. But what is impossible with man is not impossible with God. Look away from self, friend, and look to Jesus. I continue. It is in this life that we are to separate sin from us. Through faith in the atoning blood of Christ, our precious Savior invites us to join ourselves to Him, to unite our what? To His what? Our, our what? To His what? Our what? To His what? God's providence is the school in which we are to learn the meekness and the lowliness of Jesus. The Lord is ever setting before us, not the way we would choose, which seems easier and pleasanter to us, but the true aims of life. It rests with us. To what? Cooperate with the agencies which heaven employs in the work of reforming our characters to the divine model. None can neglect or defer, defer this work, but at the most fearful peril to their souls. This is the gospel of what Christ will do in and for us. Now, I want to address this business about we're going to keep sinning and be saved in the end. And I'm going to show you another quote, 620. And I'm going to show you the Adventists who believe that message. Okay, uh, page 620 of Great Controversy. Do we have it up there? Satan leads many to believe that God will overlook their unfaithfulness in the minor affairs of life. But the Lord shows in his dealings with Jacob that he will in no wise sanction or tolerate evil. All who endeavor to excuse, we're good at that, all who endeavor to excuse or conceal their sins and permit them to remain on the books of heaven, unconfessed and unforgiven, will be overcome by Satan. 
The more exalted their profession, the more honorable the position which they hold, the more grievous is their course in the sight of God and the more sure the triumph of their great adversary. Those who delay a preparation for the day of God, in other words, the close of probation, cannot obtain it in the time of trouble or at any subsequent time. The case of all such is what? Now this next sentence to me is absolutely tragic, but you have to pay attention to what's being said here. Those professed Christians who come up to that last fearful conflict, stop. The last one. They have gone through all the other conflicts and now they come up to the last one. Those professed Christians who come up to the last fearful conflict unprepared will in their despair confess their sins in words of burning anguish while the wicked exalt over their distress. Wait a second. I thought they would be hiding with the wicked. I thought they would be with the wicked. They weren't. They were with God's people hiding in the end. And then they realize that we're not going to be saved sinning. And then the wicked mock them. I, I want to inoculate us from the idea that we're going to go into heaven rebelling against God. It will not happen. It won't. So the big question then is, Pastor, how do you get there from here? That's the question now that we need to answer. But before we get into that, I want you to see now, this explains the reason for the delay in the second coming. Let's look at the note. The putting away of sin is another way, of the note below five. The putting away of sin is another way of saying no longer giving in to it. It means living above its power through the ministration of our great high priest. Here we also find the reason why Jesus has not returned for his people. It's found in pamphlet 145, number six. Why has Jesus not returned? Christ is waiting. Let me stop right there. Look at me for a moment. I often hear us as a people, and I have done this, I wonder what Christ is waiting for. Or, you know, we're, we're waiting for him. <laughs> we're waiting for Jesus to return. You know, maybe we're waiting for the Catholics to take over the world. <laughs> maybe we're waiting for the economy to collapse. The truth is, it's not us who's waiting. It's him. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the, when the character of the Savior shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, what's the next word? Then he will come and claim his own. It is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Were all who profess his name bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. Quickly the last great harvest would be ripened and Christ would come. Let's unpack this. By the way, I don't want you to miss this. Did you notice that, that um, if all were professing his name bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the world would be warned? You see, as we allow God to work in our lives, as we surrender to him, there is a corresponding desire to share the love of God with others. Amen. We want them to have what we have. 
And this message will go like wildfire. But here's the bottom line. So Jesus is in the sanctuary in heaven. And you and I, uh, you know, I ask God to forgive me my sins. Jesus, with his blood, places his blood over that sin. And the word pardon appears. Okay? That's what he's doing. So as you and I ask for forgiveness. Now, are the wicked asking for Jesus to forgive them? The wicked are not. Jesus isn't working for the wicked. The wicked aren't asking him to. But you and I are asking Jesus to work on our behalf, right? And so we ask for forgiveness. Okay. If that's the work Jesus is doing, what's going to have to happen before Jesus can leave? We have to put him out of business. Is this making sense? The reason why Jesus hasn't returned is because we're keeping him there. We're not ready. Something's going to have to change, friend, if we want Jesus to return. Now, I want you to be aware of this. If somebody, if, 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 if all of humanity, only one person had fallen into sin, would Jesus have stepped off the throne and come and died for that soul? Okay. Very good. Now take that line of thinking. Let's take it a step further. Suppose everyone in the whole world has made their decision for or against Christ and you're the only one that hasn't yet. You're still moving in his direction and you're still yielding. Will Christ hold up the second coming for you until he has you perfectly sealed? You better believe it. He will wait for you, friend. He will keep the door open. He will stay there. Let's take a look at the note below number six. This is the reason why Jesus has not returned yet. His waiting is an act of mercy. For him to return before his people are ready would be fatal to them. So he waits. He waits for his people to believe him and to cooperate with him so he can finish the work that he has begun in them. When this work is done, he will come to claim them as his own. Jesus will finally leave the most holy place when there is no longer a need for his mediatory work. Does that make sense? When he's out of business, he will leave to come get us. Number seven, but how is this waiting affecting God? Education 263. Those who think of the result of hastening or hindering the gospel, think of it in relation to themselves and to the world. How few think of its relation to God. Few give thought to the suffering that sin has caused our Creator. All heaven suffered in Christ's agony, but that suffering did not begin or end with His manifestation in humanity. The cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that from its very inception sin has brought to the heart of God. Every departure from the right, every deed of cruelty, every failure of humanity to reach his ideal brings grief to him. Tonight, when you go to bed, and you lay your head on your warm pillow and go to sleep. Remember there is one who is watching over all. Every rape, every murder, every molestation, 
every child who stands by the casket of their parent, every parent that stands by the casket of their child, God is feeling it all. You know, Jesus made a comment once. He said, as you've done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. Every pang of pain that we feel in our hearts reverberates in the heart of God. That's why when we relieve the suffering of another human being, we are relieving it from God. As you have done it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. But God's waiting is painful to him. But he's waiting for you and for me to believe that he can set us free and to engage the process. Okay, so how do we cooperate in this work? First of all, we must understand and believe that God wants to deal with the sin issue. He wants to deal with it on all levels in our life. What do you mean by all levels, Pastor? Not just the external, but in our thoughts. Amen? In our thoughts. But not even that, but even stuff we're not aware of in our lives. God wants to deal with anything and everything that's not reflecting his character in our lives. But something we must remember is that it is a process. You know, I I didn't do this, but if I have, uh, uh, if I plant corn on this date, it begins to grow up. And then Three weeks later, I plant another corn, and then three weeks later, and I keep doing that, right? By the time this one has the the ear of corn in it, the others, this one might be starting, but the others haven't. Which of those plants are perfect? All of them are. They are where they're supposed to be in their development. Are you getting it? So the key is to just stay surrendered to Jesus as he's leading me in my life. He is responsible for my growth. You know, um, we got to remember that this surrender process is a process. If you need an example to that, the children of Israel, when they came into the promised land, the land was their inheritance. Joshua was to lead the forces of Israel to take the land. But remember, they didn't do it all at once. They took one city at a time. Joshua was his name. How do you say, that's in Hebrew, how do you say it in the Greek? Jesus. Joshua is the Hebrew. Jesus is the Greek. It was Jesus leading the forces of Israel to take the land one fortress at a time. There are many fortresses of Canaanites in my character. I shared with you how when I gave my life to Jesus, the first thing that Jesus asked of me was the fortress of revenge. Then after he conquered that one, it was the fortress of the foul language in my mouth. George, it's time to give up that one now. And step by step, Joshua began conquering the land as I allowed him to. Okay? Are you with me? And so it's a process. You know, there are some people that said, my life is so messed up. There's no way. Just go to Jesus and say, Lord, which is the one do you want us to deal with first? Today. Does that make sense? It's a conquest. And, and so we just, if you need a little, an illustration for this, look at a baby walking. 
You know, when a baby is learning to walk, remember, God uses the natural things to explain spiritual. As a baby is learning to walk, what does a baby often do? Okay? And when the baby falls, what does the parent do? Does the parent say, what are you doing? You're embarrassing me. Will you please get up? Is that what parents do? No. Parents come alongside and they say, come, nice try. Take me by the hand. Let me help you. Isn't that what a loving parent says and does? That's the picture of God we need. He knows what he's dealing with. And he knows how to resolve it. Now, the thing is, all of us have a different experience. Don't look to me to figure out where you ought to be. You didn't grow up in my neighborhood or in my house. Okay? I, I'm, I have to deal with stuff you didn't have to deal with and vice versa. Keep looking to Jesus. It's a work that God does. You know, it's very interesting. I used to think that God would reach into my heart and rip out sin. That's not how God works. I'm going to illustrate it with a, with a story. Uh, I think that it really illustrates it rather well. I heard, it, I heard the story on the radio years ago. It must have been when I was living in California. It's a story about a missionary, and I don't know what denomination he was from. It doesn't matter. But this guy was in India trying to reach souls for, for the gospel. And... Um, and they ran into a lot of difficulties, and he was very discouraged. And, um, and, and so discouraged was the situation that eventually his wife left. She went back to the States and left him there. He, he worked on by himself, and he got more discouraged. You know what happens? When we're discouraged, we've taken our eyes off of Christ. And that's what, what happened to this guy. When you take your eyes off of Christ, all the old stuff starts coming back. And uh, so this guy's walking home one night, uh, one, at, one late afternoon, uh, and, and as he's rounding the bend, walking by a river, there he saw a woman bathing, okay? This is in India. No bathing suits there. And there was, uh, the sun was behind her, and she was just there with the sun glistening, and temptation overcame him, and he went into the water to get a hold of the lady, he grabbed her by the arm, spun her around, and discovered she had leprosy. What do you think happened to his drive at that moment? Came to a screaming halt, didn't it? You see, when God works with us to, to, to get rid of sin, he doesn't rip it out. He works with us and gets us to see it for what it really is. You see, the reason why sin has, uh, has an allurement is because we're deceived. If we saw it for what it really was, we would puke it up. So as we come to know God, he begins the process of revealing to us what the sin is really like. Take a look at volume, a testimony, uh, uh, third, uh, volume three testimonies, page 538. It may take, what's the next word? Uh, you're not there yet. Are you there? Uh, number nine, it's number eight. But it's continuing on. It's a second quote. Uh, uh, 3T538. T3, are you there? All right. 3T. It may take what? Time. It may take time. Did you catch that? It may take time to attain perfect submission to God's will. But we can never stop short of it and be fitted for heaven. True religion will lead its possessor on to 
perfection. So what is perfection? I get people that get angry with me. You're teaching a perfectionist message. And then I ask them, okay, tell me, what's perfection? And they sit there and stutter. They don't know what it is. Perfection is surrendering to Jesus. Whatever, that's it, period. Whatever the Lord is asking you to do at that moment, surrender. That's it. It may take time to surrender every aspect of our life. It may take time to attain to perfect submission to God's will, but we can never stop short of it and be fitted for heaven. True religion leads its possessor on to perfection. Your thoughts, your words, your actions, as well as your appetites and passions must be brought into subjection to the will of God. You must bear fruit unto holiness. And the key for this, here's a reference, DA, Desire of Ages, 668. Read that whole page. It's, it's amazing. And so the one section I just want to quote is this one. When we know God, as it is our privilege to know Him, our life will be a life of continued obedience. Through an appreciation of His character, sin will become hateful. Isn't that amazing? The sin that I love, if I come to know God and I suddenly begin to see that in the presence of his love, that sin is going to become hateful. Amen. The reason we have such a problem with sin is because we don't know God. We're not spending time with him. And as we do, by beholding, you will become changed. That's the only hope we have. You're not going to get there by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Hello. It won't happen. But by beholding, we become changed as we yield to him. Take a look at this next one. If the eye is kept fixed on Christ, the work of the Spirit ceases not until the soul is conformed to his image. Is that not beautiful? My friends, what we're looking at here is the righteousness by faith message. It is the everlasting gospel. It is the loud cry that needs to go to all the world to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus Christ. This is the message of righteousness by faith. Your righteousness has to come from Christ or you don't have it, period. Does that make sense? And let me tell you, God will accomplish this in a generation. I believe that earth has entered into its final lap. We've entered into the last lap. Uh, there's so much. I wish you were in Sabbath school today, because I said a lot in there, didn't I? But this business of what the Pope is wanting to do is, 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 is a disguised push for the Sunday law. You got to watch the video that I, if you don't have it, you better go to our secretary and hand her your, 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 your email and she'll send it to you. But the GC session, if you know anything about Adventist history, we are mirroring exactly what we did in 1888. Right now. We're mirroring it. The 1888 session was a distraction from what was coming upon the world. The Blair um, bill had been passed and had been presented to Congress in the spring and that fall was the GC session and the church was fractured. Guess what's going to be happening this GC session? We're going to be dealing with the compliance issue at a time when the devil is pulling another one on us. We need to be paying attention to what's happening. If there ever was a time to focus on Jesus, it's now. 
We're almost home, brothers and sisters. We're almost home. Number nine, this process involves our, co our, cooperative, our cooperation by examining ourselves in the light of God's word. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you're disqualified. So the, the key is to, is to compare our lives with the life of Christ, not with one another. Don't compare your life to me. I could be lost and you would be too. But you ought, will not be lost if your focus is on Jesus. Amen. Focus on Jesus. Compare your life to him. And, and if Pastor Baute does something sinful, don't assume it must be okay because the pastor's doing it. The question is, does Jesus do it? Amen. 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned by the world. I'm so glad that God will chasten us. By the way, it's a lot easier when I when I take care of something myself, but when God has to take a hold of us, it's not a, it's not a joy-filled experience. But I'm so glad that he's not so quick to give up on me. Number 10, every secret thing is brought out in the judgment, including our thoughts and motives. Ecclesiastes 12, 14, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, my friends. We may hide it from our spouses and from our kids and from our neighbors. We're not hiding anything from God. Proverbs 16, Two, all the ways of man are pure, what? In his own eyes. Isn't that true? But the Lord weighs the spirits. In other words, the good things I do, God's, God weighs the motives. Why are we doing the right things that we're doing? Is it because we're trying to save ourselves? Or is it because we're trying to bring glory and honor to our Savior? It's a big difference. Are we wanting to look good in the eyes of others? Hebrews 4.12, we're a mess. Let's just admit it. You're, you're sitting here right now thinking there's no hope for me. The thing is, everybody's thinking that. We're a mess. But the sooner we look away for ourselves and look to Jesus, the better we're off we're going to be. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit uh, and of joint and marrow, and is a cerner of our thoughts and tents of the heart. That's why we've got to spend time in the word of God every day. Number 11, even hereditary sins are considered in the judgment. Ezekiel 12, uh, 20, verse 4. Uh, will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Then make known to them the, ab the abominations of their what? Their fathers. You know, we live in a generation that loves to blame its parents for the wrongs in their life. The plan of salvation is based on personal accountability. If we blame others, the gospel can't touch me. I am responsible for the choices I make. I cannot blame mom and dad. Are you with me? Now, it is true that what I grew out of may explain who I am today, but the gospel is about change. So look at it this way. It's kind of like when you go to the mall or when you go to a rest stop and you see a big map there's a little star, and by the star, it says, you are here. It doesn't say you're going to be there the rest of your life. It just says that that's where you are at this moment. But you have a destination to be like Christ. So, so all that is is a point of reference. I am so thankful that the gospel breaks the cycles of our broken past. And I can bear witness to it. Because I have a broken past. And I'm so thankful 
that if we'll trust ourselves to Christ, he will break those cycles in our life. He will do it by God's grace. So let's not blame anybody. The moment we blame, God cannot touch our problem. He has no right. Number 12, God will graciously show us everything that keeps us from fully reflecting his character. Philippians 3.15, therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. In other words, if there's something in my life that, that is not revealing Jesus, if I ask God, Lord, is there anything in my life that's not rightly reflecting you? Will you show it to me? What has God promised to do? You know, we have a problem with navel-gazing. What if there's something in my life? Listen, if you have given God permission, go on with your day. And keep your focus on Jesus. The devil's going to do everything he can to keep us from looking to Christ. Looking to ourselves and our failures or even our successes is all fatal. We have to look to Jesus and stop looking to ourselves. What number did I leave you on? Okay. Am I on 13? I'm on 13. This is not to condemn us. God doesn't reveal sin in our life to condemn us, but so that we may repent and what? And live. Ezekiel 18, 30 through 20. It says, therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Um, Everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God, repent and turn from your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all transgressions which you have committed and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore turn and what? And live. Did you know that sorrow for sin is a gift from God? Did you know that? That without God giving me sorrow for sin, I have no sorrow for sin. There have been times in my life, early in my walk, when I did things I knew I shouldn't be doing, and I didn't feel bad about it. And that worried me. <laughs> I went to God and I said, Lord, will you give me sorrow for that? He gave it to me. He gave me regret, sorrow for sin. God doesn't want anyone. God has provided every, everything that's needed to save us. He doesn't want anyone to die. Brothers and sisters, do you know who it is who closes our probation? We do. By either cooperating with God or telling him to buzz off. We close it. We train our minds to reject that voice or we train our minds to respond to it. The choice is ours. God does not close our probation. We do. Does that make sense? Number 14, God's righteous judgments teach us and train us so that we may share in his holiness and reap a harvest of righteousness and peace. Hebrews 12, 10, 11 says, for they, our earthly dads, indeed for a few days, chasten us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful at the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields its peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been what? trained by it. So sometimes God has to show us what we're doing wrong. You know, sometimes we don't get it. I think of, the, I think of Jacob. You know, Jacob wanted the blessing of God. God had promised him the blessing, but he felt he had to do something to make it happen, and uh, so he deceived his brother and his dad, and, and he felt that under those circumstances, deception was okay. Of course, we have never justified evil under certain circumstances, have we? 
And so, so God had to show him that that was not right, that, that deception under any, any pretense is still wrong. Are you with me? So how did he convince him finally? When his own sons deceived him. And now he saw deception in a different light. You never hear about that being a part of his problem in his life again. He had victory. Sometimes the lessons hurt. But I'm so thankful that God is willing to give us a good spanking when we need one. You know, the Bible says that God only chastens those he, he loves. Amen. Okay, where'd I leave you? Are we on 15? The end result of this work will be the cleansing of the conscience from all sinful principles and through the mighty agency of the Holy Spirit, riding upon the mind the principles of God's law as is promised under the provision of the new covenant. Sec this is an amazing verse. 2 Peter 1, 2-4. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Okay? Grace and peace be multiplied. How? Through a knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord according as his divine power has given unto us, how many? All things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, thereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You see, brothers and sisters, when you and I are born, we are born with one nature, the sinful fallen nature. All right? And that nature cannot and will not obey God. But when we are born again and we ask Christ to come into our hearts, he comes by way of the Holy Spirit. Now another nature comes into our life the divine nature, and it is that nature that will subdue the fallen if we will yield to Christ's leading. Did you catch what I just said? <clears throat> what we're looking at is the story of, uh, is the message of righteous by faith. I want to share with you, once again, an illustration that illustrates this. I shared it last week, and throughout my time that God has me here. By the way, I have no idea how long God's going to keep me here. But this much you and I do know. Don't, don't know I'm not sending out resumes. I'm just, I'm just seeing what's happening in the world. But for this time, God has brought us together for a purpose. Watch this illustration, how this works. I shared it last week. I'm going to share it again. The Pool of Bethesda. The paralytic was there for, he couldn't walk for 38 years, he was paralyzed. He couldn't walk. Now, he had a system. He had a method about how to get healed, and he did his best for 38 years, and it didn't work. The textual evidence is the day that Jesus arrives on the pool of Bethesda is the day that he gave up on his method. He gave up. And Jesus said to him, would you, would you like to walk? Uh, what is this? Would you like to be healed? And he said, nah, you know, I, all this time I've been trying to get people in the water. Jesus looks at him and said, get up and walk. Now, this guy begins thinking about the words of Jesus. He begins to chew on it. The more he chews on it, he's beginning to believe that Christ can actually pull this off in his life. 
So now he makes an effort again, but this time based on Christ's word. And when he makes the effort to get up, it gives God the right to unleash his power in the man's life. And he walks. Is this making sense? It's a response to Christ's word. Now, I'm going to show you a quote in Education 126 that's going to blow your mind. You ready for this? The creative energy that called the worlds into existence is in the word of God. Stop. Think about that. What in the world did we just read? The energy, the power that created the universe is in the Bible. It was through God's word. He spoke. And everything was made. His word is power. If you get an atom and you split it, what do you get? One atom. How many atoms in here? How much power is here? How about in the city of Hendersonville? How many atoms? How much power? Okay. How about in the state of North Carolina? How about in the United States? How about this planet? How about the universe? How much power? The power of God is unlimited. And that power is found in the Bible. That's how this begins. The creative energy that called the worlds into existence is in the word of God. This word imparts what? Power. It begets what? Life. Look at this next sentence. Every command of God is a what? A promise. Accepted by the will, received into the soul, it brings with it the life of the infinite one. Now look at this last sentence. It transforms the nature and recreates the soul in the image of God. How much time are we spending in God's word? Are we seeking to let Jesus be the Lord of our life and to surrender to his leading in our lives? As we make the choice to surrender, it unleashes his power in our lives. Is this making sense? You see, the Ten Commandments are actually ten promises of what God is going to do in your life. If we make the choice to yield. Is that not amazing? Let's take a look at some more here. Hebrews 9.14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Friend, I don't know what sin has you bound, but I know who can set you free. Philippians 1.6, and I like the Wymouth New Testament translation because I feel it's just the clearest. For of this I am what? These are the words of Paul. Of this I am confident, that he, Christ, who has begun a good work within you, will go on to perfect it in preparation for the day of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Yes. Jude 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. 16, what does the life look like when God's law is written on the heart? Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, 
long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It looks like Jesus. You see, the world needs a demonstration. It needs to see Jesus. There's been so much phony Christianity that the world has lost interest because the, wor- the church has become like the world. The world is looking elsewhere for, for help. But there's going to be a demonstration at the end of what a Christian really is, and the world is going to embrace it. God is waiting for a generation that will believe him, that he will do this work in their life, and will cooperate with him so he can finish it, so we can have the demonstration and we go home. I want to be part of that. Number 17, what will be the final result of Christ's judgment work in his end time saints? Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patient of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith, the trust of Jesus. I want to share something here. You know, oftentimes, as Seventh-day Adventists, when we read this, we say, oh, that's us. Please forgive me. No, it isn't. If that was us, we wouldn't be here. It's what God wants us to be. Now, in heaven, this, this text is very interesting. In heaven, Lucifer said that God's commandments could not be kept. Jesus came and showed that it could be. And Satan cried foul, you're Jesus. But in the end, there's going to be a generation that's going to believe Jesus and cooperate with him. And that group is going to vindicate God before the whole onlooking universe because he was charged by Satan before the universe that God's commandments couldn't be kept. The reason why we're still in this mess is because that's the last question in the judgment in heaven that has to be answered. Can God's law be kept? And at the very end, there's going to be a generation and God's going to point to them as exhibit A and say, here are they. And it's over. We go home. We end here. And by the way, the people that are saying that we're going to keep sinning up to the second coming are actually echoing Satan's argument that God's commands cannot be kept. I don't want to echo Satan's arguments. Number 18, what warning does our great high priest have for us today? Watch ye therefore, at least coming suddenly, he finds you sleeping. And what, what, I, what, I, what, what this means here is coming to your name in the judgment. That's what this means. Watch, therefore, at least coming suddenly he find you sleeping. Perilous is the condition of those growing weary of their watch, turned to the attractions of the world. While the man of business is absorbed in the pursuit of gain, while the pleasure lover is seeking indulgence, while the daughter of fashion is arranging her adornments, it may be at that hour that the judge of all the earth will pronounce the sentence, Thou art, thou art weighed in the balance and are found wanting. You know, I'm going to be real now with you here. This was more than a sermon. This was an appeal. You know, I have really been reflecting over my life, and I have to be honest and say that I have fallen into the idea that the Lord delayeth his coming. And I think we all need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, have we done that? When we begin to, when the things of this life and this world begin to grab our attention, uh, we are basically saying, the Lord delayeth his coming. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is about to return.
Every morning now when I wake up, my eyes open, the first thing out of my mouth is, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit and keep me straight from this day for the rest of the day. Be with me today, Lord. Keep me focused upon you. And each day I begin with Jesus. Right now I'm reading a devotional. Uh, it's entitled Reflecting Jesus from Sister White. I'm also reading a book uh, that I'm finding very Powerful. It's called The Return of the Latter Rain by uh, Ron Duffield. Very, very powerful book. And then going through the, through the book of Psalms, talking to my Savior. I need more of Jesus. Something I'm doing now that I've done in the past, but I stopped. I'm doing it again. I'll take time out in my day just to spend with him in prayer. I need to make, you need me to maintain my focus upon Jesus. I need you to be praying for me, and I am praying for you every single day. I'm going to give you some books to read. At the very bottom of your page, I'm going to give you four books here. Because what we're looking at, uh, what we're talking about is the message of righteousness by faith. It's the everlasting gospel. The first book is one called Christ Our Righteousness by A.G. Daniels. This book uh, gives you the history of what happened in 1888. Uh, there's a lot of stuff out there, buyer beware. If you really want to study this message, start with these four books first. You'll have a pretty good idea when you run into the phony baloney version. Are you with me? Uh, Christ Our Righteousness by A.G. Daniels. And uh, Daniels was one of the men that rejected the message of righteous by faith, but later he recanted. And he wrote this book for fear that people would forget. Number two is Lessons on Faith by Jones and Wagner. Very good book. I, I just caution you about reading any of their stuff after 1897, after they got tangled up with John Harvey Kellogg, and then their stuff started getting squirrely. This book is good. It's safe. The other one is Steps to Christ by Ellen White. Oh, pastor, I read that. Yeah. Read it now after reading those two books. And then number four is Christ Our Righteousness by J.W. Lehman. Read it in that order. If you get it out of order, you're going to find yourself lost in terminology. By the time you get to Lehman's book, you will have the Advent Adventese. We speak Adventese, don't we? You'll, you'll have it down so you'll understand what Lehman is saying. Because Lehman is deep. This is deep. My friends, this is the message that gets us home. It is the loud cry message. What would happen? Do, do you realize that in the presentation of this message that the, the Holy Spirit was being poured out in this auditorium? You do recognize that. If we receive it, it continues to pour. As we continue to grow in it, it will continue to pour. This is the message that has to go to the whole world for the end to come. Now, if, you, if you're looking to yourself and you're seeing that you're such a huge sinner that there's no hope for you, you're actually in a good spot because that means you finally gave up on yourself. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Now look away from yourself and look to Jesus. He's your only hope for all of us. But what would happen if the upward church embraced this message? I submit to you, a revival would begin that will embrace this community and ultimately the world. I want it to begin with me. How about you? How many are willing to ask Jesus Christ to begin this revival within their own life? To turn away from the things of the world that have had us so focused and to focus rather on our blessed Savior and sharing others with Jesus, sharing Jesus with them. Let's, let's bow our heads as we close out. Father, it was a lot that we covered here. We need you, Lord. 
it's so easy to fall into a state of complacency. It's so easy to be drawn in by the attractions of this world and to lose sight of you. Father in heaven, we have heard this day the clarion call. Our, our time for reaching the world is diminishing. The end is near. O oh, Savior, help us not to act out of fear, but out of love and gratitude for your love for us. Help us to remember that we cannot pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're weak. Ellen White says that our promises are ropes of sand. But Lord, you have told us that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're my only hope. And Lord, I'm not safe from you for a moment. When we wake up in the morning, remind us, Lord, to cry out to you for the Holy Spirit to keep us. Remind us, Lord, to spend time with you. What is it you would have us to read? Help us to maintain our focus. Help us to remember that when we begin to take you serious, Satan gets worried and he gives us a hard time, but it's okay. You remind us that you've already overcome him. He's a defeated foe. Help us to cling to your promises. And we know that if we will trust ourselves to you, that you will bring us forth more than conquerors and that we will be ready to meet you soon in the clouds of heaven. Lord, be with our pastors. Be with our conference leadership. Be with our GC leadership. Be with this meeting that will be taking place this summer. Oh, Father, guide your church. Be with the delegates who will be coming. May they be hand-selected by you that your church will take a correct course. I pray, Lord, may the eyes of your church be opened that what's happening around the world, Father, is indicating to us it's almost over. Thank you for your faithfulness. We love you, Lord. Bless this church. May your spirit continue to be poured out upon all here. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.